Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We are so glad that you're listening today. As God's people here at Valley View, we are concerned with reaching out and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org and please subscribe to the podcast to always get the next message. Joy is the serious business of heaven. These words are written by C.S. Lewis in his letters to Malcolm. That phrase, serious business, brings a lot of ideas to mind. What would you label as serious business? Perhaps security, or surviving and thriving, amassing wealth, meeting your needs or your wants, having a good family. I am sure there are any number of important tasks that we would call serious business. But would you say joy is serious business? And I think C.S. Lewis is right when he says that joy is the serious business of heaven. Today, I want you to hear loud and clear that you are God's joy, and He invites you to join in the celebration. Our text today makes us face our human flaws, but it also shows us God and how God overcomes those flaws with His love for us. There are a mixture of characters in the story that I want to draw your attention to. There's religious experts called Pharisees and teachers of the law who are certain about what makes a person worthwhile and worthy. And there's also another group of characters, they might be labeled tax collectors and sinners, and they spend their days being told that they are unworthy and unholy, and therefore cannot approach God. And lastly, in our story, there's Jesus. And he challenges both the religious leaders and the sinners with a simple story about a shepherd and sheep telling them about how much God cares for every single person. Jesus describes God as a shepherd, and we find that it is all of us that are that one lost sheep. Hear the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and they lose one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. You are precious to God. I need you to hear this today. You are precious to him. You are his joy. And I want you to hear some of these truths about why you are precious to God. And the first is this. You are as important to God as everyone else. It can be hard for us to understand how valuable we are. For as much as is similar between us, each of us is also unique. 
You are important. You are special. You are wanted. And God desires to have you with him in his kingdom. And his kingdom won't be the same without you. In Jesus' parable, he starts by identifying a group, a flock of sheep. They're all united together by their heritage as sheep. They're a group. They're all alike as sheep. But one of these sheep has become lost. And Jesus tells us that the shepherd leaves the remaining 99 to look for one. Now, the text does not tell us if the shepherd makes sure that the 99 sheep remained safe while he left. Some historians believe that since the safety of the flock was so common practice in Jesus' day that he didn't have to tell his audience that the 99 were left under the care of an under-shepherd, that they were just safe. But I'm not so sure. Jesus has a way of telling stories that surprise the listener. And this story is telling us that the shepherd values his sheep, every single one. He, he loves them so much. His love for each sheep is boundless. His love for the sheep is borderline reckless. Extravagant is not the word we would use. But the shepherd searches for the lost sheep at great personal cost. He does all the work, and I think he is willing to risk the 99 because a single sheep is so important to him. We need to hear a lesson here, that we are to be like the shepherd. Don't ever give up on the one. Sometimes we're ready to give up on ourselves. Don't do that. You are that one sheep, and the shepherd is not going to give up on you. God is not going to give up you on you, and he wants you to realize not to give up on yourself. And don't give up. You are exceedingly precious to God. Maybe it's not yourself you're ready to give up on. Maybe you're ready to give up on other one sheep that are lost. That one that's wandered away. The one that drives you crazy. You just, I can't believe they keep making these awful decisions. Be careful. Especially as Christians. We need to remember that each person we meet is the one lost sheep and that they are valuable to God and so they need to be valuable to me, to you. So, you are as important as everyone else in God's eyes. You're precious to Him. But why else are we precious to God? You are worth more than your face value. Now, saying that we have face value might be something that's uncomfortable. But we have a limited understanding of our value. I think we'd walk around saying, well, everybody's really important and really valuable. But when we look at ourselves, we do rank ourselves. We do say, well, I'm really good at this, and so-and-so is really good at that. And so I'm worth this much, and they're worth that much. They're better than I am, or I'm better than so-and-so. We, we, we rank each other. We, I know I have a habit of seeing my own two shortcomings too easily. I have an easier time remembering my mistakes than I do my successes. And so I see my mistakes so clearly that it makes it hard for me sometimes to remember my worth, to discern my worth. And so I sometimes forget that I am worth more than my face value. Jesus knows that we struggle with understanding how precious we are, how much we are really worth. And so he tells another story right after the story of the shepherd. With It's very similar uh, the story of the shepherd has 99 sheep and one gets lost. And then he tells the story of a woman who loses a silver coin. And she diligently searches the house for the coin and is overjoyed when she finds it. 
Now, the silver coin is a common one. It's a denarii. It's worth about one day's wages. It's valuable, but it's not incredibly valuable. Then Jesus tells us that the woman calls her friends and neighbors over to celebrate with her. Now, catch that detail. She invites friends and neighbors over to celebrate. In essence, the text doesn't tell us, but she's throwing a party for them. Come, celebrate with me. Now, that would be a costly event. And from the guest list, friends and neighbors, it's not a little list, it's a long list. Even just a few people would make such a celebration cost more than the actual coin she found was worth. Who would throw a party that cost more than the money they thought they had lost and now found? Except that finding that lost coin means far more to the woman in the story than its actual face value. And we are worth more to God than we can comprehend. Are you treating yourself with face value or less? Or are you treating yourself with the worth that God sees in you? How about others? Do you look at others desiring to see the deep value that God has for them? Third thing I'd say about how God sees us as precious and how we know that we are important to him is that there is always a place of honor ready for you at God's table. Just to make sure we see how precious we are to God, Jesus tells a third story. We're not going to read it, but we often call it the story of the prodigal son. It's a story about a son who wants to leave home and find his way in the world. So he asks his father to get his inheritance early. And his father gives it to him. And the son goes off and he squanders that inheritance. And when it's all gone, he finds himself alone and suffering and far from home. And the son realizes in that moment that he is lost. He is not who he should be. He was a treasured son and now... He says, ah, if only I could just become a servant of my father's, my life would be better off. He's been lost for a long time. He was lost even before he left home because he did not realize his father's love for him. Actually, the story is about two lost sons because this boy who wandered off and squandered his inheritance had a brother who stayed home, who did everything that was asked of him, but became bitter in his heart about his service to his father. So the, that other brother, he never leaves home, but he's just as lost. He has become unhappy, and he grumbles about how his father forgives his wandering prodigal brother. Because at the end of the story, the son comes back, and the father welcomes him, and throws a party for him, and says, this is my son. He's not a servant, he's my son. He has a place of honor in this home. The point of the story is both sons are precious to the Father, and both still have places of honor waiting for them when they are ready to return. If you want to, you can read the story on your own, but it's there. I just want to read the end of the story in Luke chapter 15, verses 31 and 32. The Father says, My son, this is to the bitter son who never left, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's, li he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So the father throws a party. There is a place of honor for you at God's table in his kingdom. Now you might feel embarrassed by that. <laughs> Why should I be honored? Or you might not know, to know what to do. Or you might feel unworthy. The truth is, 
God has prepared a place of honor for you if you would receive it. Why? Why? Because you are God's joy. And he invites you to join in the celebration. How do I know that you're God's joy? Because you are his treasure. You're precious to him. You are infinitely precious to God. Julie Perry writes these words. God's message to us through these parables, and she's talking about the parable of the shepherd and the lost coin and the prodigal son. She says, God's message to us through these parables is this. God declares, you are mine. You have always been mine. You were created in my image and therefore connected to me. And because you're mine, I will seek you out wherever you are and try to bring you back home because I love you so much. That's how God thinks of us. Now, for some of you, those words might be a relief. And for some of you, those words might be difficult. I belong to God. He owns me. That's kind of a strange phrase. Is that fair? That's understandable to ask those sorts of questions because our society values independence and being our own person. Most of our experiences of a belonging to someone, being in relationships with other people, well, at best those experiences are beautiful but flawed. And our worst experiences of belonging to someone can go wrong because a person is selfish or evil or abusive. So for many of us, we say, I am my own. I, I don't belong to anybody. But I encourage you today, try God. Let him take you home, gather you up, and bring you into his kingdom. Test his word. Seek to truly experience and know Jesus, and he will transform all your preconceptions and your fears that you may have about what does it mean to belong to God. And He'll transform those into something of beauty and wonder. He will not fail you if you honestly let him try, let him and test his word, and, and let him into your life. Art Ross writes these, word, these words, How wonderful it is that God is not like us. I'll say this, we're made in his image, but God is different than we are. We are full of sin, and God has no sin in him. And Art Ross writes, How wonderful it is that God is not like us. We do not see and understand worth the way that God does. At least we don't naturally see it that way. Because in our world, we might give up on one lost sheep, especially if the search is more than we bargained for. We might say, you know, I, I got 99. I think it's okay. To This one's really hard to find. But God is not like us. He does not give up. Our worth to him is more than we can possibly comprehend. And I am thankful for that. You are God's possession. You are his joy. And he is pursuing you. And upon bringing you back home, he restores you and celebrates you and invites you to join in his joy. Will you know that joy today? And so I want to add to this, because this passage is about really celebration and joy, the celebration of the shepherd and his joy over finding the lost sheep, and it's about God celebrating us, the lost sheep being found. It's full of joy, 
But I want to warn you, be aware of the thieves that will steal joy. And quite honestly, the thieves are most often ourselves. So I want you to be aware of three thieves to joy. The first one is this. We can become blind and unable to see that we are God's treasure. We've kind of alluded to this, but I want to say it very clearly. We can become blind and unable to see that we're God's treasure, and that will rob us of our joy. Our story begins not with lost sheep and a shepherd, but the story begins with people gathering around Jesus. Did you catch that? I mean, Jesus tells a story in response to a crowd. And the crowd has tax collectors and sinners. And they were gathering around to hear Jesus. Why is that such a problem? As the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were muttering about us. I can't believe Jesus is, is, is welcoming these people. Why is that a problem? Everybody should be able to get close to Jesus. If we go back in the Gospel of Luke, just a little bit, just the previous chapter, actually just the verse right before our story starts today where it says the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus, we read this line because Jesus was talking to the people around them about what it meant to follow him, what it meant to become a disciple of Jesus, what the cost would be. And so at the end of that teaching on how to become a disciple of Jesus, Jesus gives an invitation, and he says, this is a, his invitation. The words literally are, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And so right after that word, you know, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear, it, it, Luke moves right to 15.1 and says, the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around Jesus to hear him. They're about to receive his invitation to follow and become disciples what a beautiful moment. They're about to be found. They're about to be lost sheep no longer. But and uh, a familiar voice speaks up. And this voice can be heard all through history, not just this moment with Jesus. It speaks the same word every single time, although this word is not often used. It uses other words, but it always comes back to this one word, unworthy. Have you heard that voice? Have you heard that word? Do not listen to this voice. This voice says you are not good enough. You should be ashamed. You are not really wanted. And it quickly becomes unworthy and, and transforms into, well, I'm not worthy. See, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had made a judgment about the tax collectors and sinners, and then they made a judgment of Jesus, and they decided that this is not how the holy people of God act. This is not how people who love God act. They do not associate with those who are sinners, those who are unholy, and so they muttered. And though they might not have said the word, the word came out because we are so familiar with hearing it, unworthy. They have a misunderstanding of mercy, and it causes them to mutter the word unworthy. Because mercy is about undeserved relief. It is relief, release from what is deserved. Mercy is generous, and the Pharisees have no place for mercy in their world. 
They would have the tax collectors and sinners take a shower, clean up, fix up your act, get rid of the sin of your life, and then go through a trial period to see if your conversion is really genuine. Fix yourself first, and then after that great ordeal of proving that you've changed your ways, you might be permitted to be able to approach God and worship in the temple, to have a relationship with God. You know, we do the same thing. We do it to ourselves and we do it to others. Sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it. Have you ever told yourself, you know, I've got to get my life fixed up. I've got to get my life fixed up before I can get serious with God or before I can have a better relationship with God. Or have you ever told yourself, you know, I don't know if God wants me because I've made too many mistakes. I'm too rough around the edges. I, I'm too bitter in my heart. So we say, I'll be worthy when I fix myself. When I become competent. When I become impressive. When the people around me like me. <laughs> so many people today are measuring their worthiness by how many likes they get in social media. The problem here is that we try to become treasure makers and treasure keepers. We think we're only valuable as far as we can manage ourselves and as far as we can become popular with others. This is not how mercy works and not how God assigns worth to us. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 12 and 13, we read these words. It says, On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. <laughs> Think about the sheep in Jesus' story. What does a sheep do to get found? Nothing. The sheep is not capable of helping the shepherd find it. That one lost sheep is miserable. Ken Bailey provides a bit of context behind shepherding and sheep in the Middle East. He said, once a sheep knows that it is lost, and they often accidentally get lost, it takes them a while to realize they're lost. Once a sheep knows that it is lost, it tries to hide under a bush or a rock and begins quivering and bleeding. The shepherd must locate it quickly, lest it be heard and killed by a wild animal. So the, the sheep goes and hides, and it hunkers down so it's harder to find, and then it bleats out so that predators might find it. <laughs> Not a very good strategy, I would say. Upon being found, the sheep is usually too traumatized to walk, and so it must then be carried to the flock or to the village. So the sheep hides, the sheep endangers itself, the sheep cannot walk itself home. This adds up to more work for the shepherd. The sheep doesn't do anything but make the shepherd's job harder. The shepherd does all the work, and that is mercy. And it is a mercy that God extends to us. He desires us as his treasure, as Romans 5, 8 tells us. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He does not require a down payment on our commitment before he comes looking for us. Before, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He made the first move. The stories of the lost sheep, the coin, and the son are really stories about a shepherd, a woman, and a father who love what they have so much that they are heartsick without it that they are willing to do all the work to get them back. 
You are a treasure of God. No matter how accomplished you feel you are, no matter how flawed you feel you are, no matter how ashamed you are, you are the treasure of God. Do not believe the lie that says you are unworthy. Because that word wants to steal your joy. Now, let's look at two more joy thieves. Second one is this. A thief of joy is this, that we trade joy for grumbling. See, grumbling sets the tone for all of Luke chapter 15. The stories that Jesus tells are each a response to the grumbling of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Now, to be fair, we can be certain that the tax collectors and the sinners at some point in their life did a fair amount of grumbling too. I'm sure they did. Each person on this earth is tempted with grumbling. I'm sure the tax collectors and sinners would have grumbled at the Pharisees going, oh, there goes Mr. Holier-than-thou again. He thinks he's so much better than us. I can't believe that person. Grumbling. Brian Blount helps us to understand grumbling. He says this, What is the difference between a whine and a, l- and a lament? Sometimes you get tongue-tied. What is the difference between a whine and a lament? A whine is a form of grumbling. A lament is a debate with God. In a lament, the speaker demands that God be faithful. A lament is a complaint on behalf of creation, a yearning for God to heal creation. A grumble is a complaint against creation. In a grumble, the speaker expresses a basic dissatisfaction with God's creation and God's creatures. And I would add, a grumble is an expression of dissatisfaction with God. To add to this, I have another quote from Art Ross. He writes, saying, Grumbling is a sign of sin in human life, whenever and however it occurs. And then John Boyes, one of the great reformers, writes these words, Murmuring is somewhere between secret backbiting and open railing. The Pharisees could not utterly conceal their hatred, but they dared not openly vent it. Therefore, they murmured. He continues talking about the sin of murmuring, of muttering, of complaining, grumbling. He says, It's truly observed that we may save ourselves from a liar by not speaking with him. We can save ourselves from the proud by not accompanying them, from the slothful by by not troubling them, from the glutton by not eating with them, and from the contentious by not disputing with them. But from the spiteful... It is not sufficient either to flee or to flatter them, for they cannot be well if another is better. Grumbling is such a destructive practice. Do not, do not join in it. Grumbling reveals the sin in us. Perhaps that's the good thing about grumbling. Grumbling reveals that we are lost, needing to be found. See, the Pharisees, they are the ones that believe the sinners and the tax collectors are lost. They're the lost ones. The tax collectors are seen as traitors to their fellow citizens. They they do it in two ways. They've sided with the occupying Romans who are ruling over the Israelites. and, And the tax collectors are collecting taxes for this foreign power. And they get rich off the backs of their own people. So they're seen as awful, as traitors to the nation of Israel and to God. The term sinners, well, they can be notorious sinners doing blatant evil, but this term also includes anybody whose occupation makes them unclean, unable to worship in the temple in Jerusalem, 
Ironically, one such profession that would make you unclean is shepherding. Shepherds had to be with their sheep all the time, and they had to do things that would make them technically unclean. The Pharisees have chosen to grumble. They're grumbling about those tax collectors, those sinners. Grumbling makes them ugly. It makes us ugly. We tend to grumble, grumble at what offends us. When we are lost, that which is holy offends us. Let me say that again because I think we need to really think, really take this statement in. When we are that lost sheep, that which is holy often offends us. Oh, how often I have heard about how the Bible offends our modern senses. In Luke 15, Jesus was offending the sensibility of the Pharisees. Oh, those guys over there are lost. It's not, we're not the problem. One more quote from Art Ross. This one I think is really important. Jesus offends us before he redeems us. If God is disturbing your senses, let him in. Let him. He's trying to show you yourself. God stirs us up when he goes about the business of finding us, restoring us, and bringing us home. He makes us realize that it's not others that are the lost sheep. It is me. It is I. It is you that is the lost sheep. Do not let grumbling rob you of joy. The final joy thief that I would mention is this. We don't like being called lost. I've already been alluding to this a little bit. The Pharisees didn't think they were lost. And they would have been incensed had Jesus point-blank told them so. And today, some people do not like using the word lost when describing the non-Christian. A non-Christian often does not even know that they're lost. How, how would they feel if we said, well, you're lost? None of us like being told that we're lost. Because when we're told we're lost, that means we've messed up, we're deficient, we fall short. But lost is the description of every single person who has not yet received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Tax collectors, Pharisees, and sinners are all lost. And sometimes as Christians, we lose ourselves again. Maybe not to the point where we lose salvation, but when we've wandered from God, we're no longer doing what He wishes, we're no longer actively trying to be a part of our kingdom, and we become lost. Mike Ancinelli writes and says, ask a, ran ask a rancher how a cow gets lost. And chances are he will reply, well, the cow starts nibbling on a tuft of green grass, and when it finishes, it looks his head to the next tuft of green grass and starts nibbling on that one, and then it nibbles, nibbles on a tuft of grass right next to a hole in the fence, and then it sees another tuft of green grass on the other side of the fence, and so it nibbles on that one, and then it goes on to the next tuft, and the next thing you know, the cow has nibbled itself into being lost. And I think we have, many of us have done that. We never meant it. We wandered away. Augustine of Hippo says this, Forgiveness is the remission of sins, for it is by this that what has been lost and was found is saved from being lost again. So, don't get too offended when you are told you're lost. It will rob you of your joy, the joy of being restored. So what are we to do? First, I'd say resolve to put down the practice of grumbling. Do not let grumbling become a substitute for your joy. 
and church. We should be known as a people of joy. We should be known for hope, for rejoicing and celebration. Too often Christians resemble grumbling Pharisees. The test of Christian character should be that man is a joy-bearing agent to the world. It's from Henry Ward Beecher. Secondly, once we see that we are the Lord's joy, we need to see that everyone else is also his joy. We should join the shepherd in the rescue effort to bring back the lost back home. N.T. Wright remarks about how crazy the search for the one lost sheep is. He poses the question, what might Christians do today that would cause people to ask, why are you doing something like that? That's how we felt about the shepherd. Why is the shepherd searching for the sheep like that? And what are Christians doing today that would cause people to ask, why are you doing something like that? Because when they ask this question, it gives us the opportunity to tell our story of finding something that was lost. Please choose joy. That's the third thing you can do. Choose joy. We certainly need more of it. And we need more of that rescuing that God offers. Joy is the business of heaven. The serious business of heaven. And you are that business. God is looking for you. Will you respond and let him find you? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being so serious about joy. Help us to see how much you love and treasure each and every one of us. I pray for the person listening to this message who has forgotten how it feels to be your treasure, that they would hear, if they only hear that word unworthy all the time, and that they would find anew how precious they are, that they would hear that you are, that they are your treasure. Help them to know anew your love for them. I pray that the person would take a bold risk of trusting you, of testing your joy. Lord, help your church to be joyful. Keep us from grumbling and make us a rejoicing people. Lord, let it be the actions and words of your people that bring healing, hope, and rejoicing into our world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.